In 2019, thanks to Netflix, Marie Kondo became a household name, especially in the interior design and organizing space. Her method of organizing and decluttering is known as Marie, if you're not familiar. And on a very basic level, her approach to organizing is to kind of gather everything up in a certain category. And then if an item doesn't you know, spark joy in you or give you life, thank it and then get rid of it and get it out of your life. Uh, basically, simple. Don't keep things in your life that are unnecessary and not giving you life or joy or peace. You know, most of us accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, and we have lives full of things that are just getting in the way. And we're going to look at Jesus today and how he sort of kind of conmaries someone in a spiritual sense. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we are going to look at the interaction that Jesus has with a famous person that, that uh, gets told, or it's not the person not famous, we don't know their name, but the story is famous. It's the rich young ruler. Matthew and Luke also give us this account. In Luke's version, he follows the story with the account of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and um, who was also a rich young ruler who did enter the kingdom of God. Often these two stories of the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus aren't connected or taught together. And so I find it most helpful to do them as a pair because there's so much to learn when you put them together. So next week we will investigate the great physician and Zacchaeus as a contrast to today's story. I hope you'll join us on both of these lessons that go together quite nicely. We'll start in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, exclamation point. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, that's chipper. <laughs> Today, I'd like to look at uh, three things because I'm a preacher and we split things in threes to remember them. First, let's look at this man who comes to Jesus. 
B, let's look at how Jesus interacts with him. And Roman numeral three, ultimately, what it means for us today. Just need to be paying attention. First, the rich young ruler. He was a ruler, obviously. And most think that he was at least 30 years old. Uh, Matthew mentioned specifically that he's young, which means that he's new to the office of ruler. Uh, most likely, he's about the same age as Jesus. Because of the context surrounding this account, we know that he's not just a rich young ruler, he is a rich young religious ruler, which is very important to, to understand. This contrasts nicely with Zacchaeus because Zac is a rich young tax collecting ruler for the government who finds the kingdom of God. And this guy we're looking at today is a rich young religious ruler who walks away sadly from the kingdom of God. So we think. Um, the rich young religious ruler was in a class of the religious rulers who were hostile to Jesus, who were plotting his crucifixion. And so the fact that he comes to Jesus publicly towards the end of Jesus' earthly life shows great courage on his part, and we should commend him for that. Uh, a page later in both Mark's account and Luke's account, uh, two pages in Matthew's account, is the triumphal entry. So note the setting and the timeline of this. This interaction happened uh, in the last week of Jesus' life, presumably. Um, again, it would take a great amount of courage to be in the tribe of religious rulers who were plotting against Jesus and then come forward to Jesus, call him a good teacher within five to seven days of his crucifixion. This is a remarkable account. We should pause and let that uh, sink in. This ruler also had some measure of discernment about him. He called Jesus good teacher. He asked a good question and he honestly sought Jesus out in a difficult time. This shows us that at least the wheels were turning in this guy's heart and in his head. And there was something in Jesus that arrested him. We should also note the humility seen here. As he comes into the presence of Jesus, he kneels, which is a detail often missed. Remember, this is a rich young ruler with lots of possessions and a house. Jesus is by all accounts poor, a peasant, in the construction working class, without riches or a place to lay his head, as he says. And so it's not customary for a ruler to kneel before a working class stonemason like Jesus, who's on a teaching circuit. Especially when this construction worker turned rabbi is leading who you think is the resistance. It is shocking, truly shocking, that a ruler from the ruling religious class at war with Jesus comes and kneels before him just before the triumphal entry. Imagine the rumors. Imagine the reprimand. In summary, we see that this man is young. He's new to his office. He's wealthy. He's discerning. He's courageous. He's humble. Sounds like a good guy, right? Wrong. He's actually a great guy. Jesus answers his question by quoting him six of the Ten Commandments, the commandments that deal primarily with our love for others, the love of neighbor. And the rich young ruler's answer is astounding. He says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Can any of us say that? Some think that that's an arrogant boast of works. Maybe. Um, I'm not really sure. Jesus' response to him is interesting, though. The text says that Jesus looking at him, loved him. 
Could Jesus have looked at him with love if he was arrogant and boasting? Yeah, perhaps, but, but Jesus tended to sharply rebuke the religious leaders who boasted in their works. The harshest words that ever came out of Jesus' mouth were for the arrogant religious leaders. The, the fact that Jesus honestly engages him here uh, makes me think it wasn't an arrogant boast of works. We obviously don't know for sure, but I wonder if the rich young ruler was telling the truth here. It's possible that this was a great young, religious, wealthy man who had courage, discernment, and humility to boot, looking honestly for the kingdom of God. And yet, Jesus saw that something was lacking. Jesus knows that he is lacking, and I think the rich young ruler knew he was lacking too. That's why he came. That's why he asked the question, what else must I do, basically? He knew there was more to the story that he wasn't uncovering. That's why he's there. Now, here's where it gets interesting, and it's something I want to highlight with Jesus as the great physician. The ruler knows he lacks. Jesus knows he lacks. Jesus knows what the rich young ruler really wants. And Jesus brilliantly points it out. In 26 words, Jesus unearths the man's chief desire and what could fit in a tweet. Jesus shows the man the obstacle that's in the way of eternal life. He says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Go sell, then come follow. Jesus invites him to con Marie his life, in a sense. Jesus pointed to the one thing that cluttered up his life and hindered him from entering the kingdom of God. And he gave him an invitation. Sell it. The invitation was to get rid of the distraction and follow the way. The invitation wasn't to buy your salvation as some uh, speculate. It also wasn't obtain poverty, then you're savable, as some people wrongly interpret, I think. The invitation was to remove the one thing getting in the way of full surrender to the work of Jesus. Notice what isn't sparking true joy or life in your life and con Maria, get rid of it spiritually. Now, before we get into the weeds of this, we will circle back. I want to zoom out and just notice what Jesus is doing. And notice what Jesus doesn't do, which is, is more significant to me. Um, Jesus doesn't pressure him. He doesn't coerce him or control him, doesn't manipulate him, doesn't overwhelm his agency to manage and control the outcome. Jesus doesn't chase him and beg him to stay. Jesus doesn't make him all these promises. Jesus doesn't sell him on discipleship. Jesus often calls and invites and pronounces and declares and challenges people. He does a few of those here, but notice how Jesus doesn't manipulate or coerce the rich young ruler to join his movement. Think about that temptation for Jesus. Jesus could have secured a new rich disciple who would be a spy. 
He could learn about what the rulers are doing and how they're plotting. He could reject the cup of suffering that would come his way in a week. And he could scheme his way into defeating the Pharisees. Jesus had the ability to, to flip the rich young ruler. Jesus knows the rulers have an inside spy in his group, Judas. Here, Jesus could have returned the favor. Please don't miss this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't control. He doesn't manage. He doesn't manipulate or spin or pressure. Uh, friends, this cannot be overstated. He doesn't do any of that which we would do if we were in that position because he's the great physician. He is love incarnate. He is literally love walking around in sandals. And love doesn't control. Love doesn't manipulate. Love doesn't pressure. Love doesn't scheme. Love invites. Love points out. Love doesn't override the other person's agency. And this aspect of God's character and his nature is on full display here. It's often missed because of the whole, we have to sell stuff, but oh, could we focus on just how Jesus actually loves this man without manipulating him? Is that the picture of Jesus you have? This is love. This is our God. This is the great physician. He notices what is ailing the man. And in a tweet, in 26 words, he offers both the diagnosis and the prescription. And he invites him to take the medicine, but he doesn't run after him and coerce him and force him to take the medicine. Jesus does something similar with Judas. He, he doesn't talk Judas out of betraying him. Jesus loved him. And so instead, Jesus washed his feet. Jesus served him communion. And he highlights to Judas what is already in his heart, and he literally tells Judas, which is so shocking, what you are going to do, go do it quickly. We often see Jesus digging beneath the surface of desires, calling out what's lurking under the water and patiently inviting us to consent to the work he longs to do. Many don't realize that this is who God is. Some think God is angry at them. Some think God is, of all uh, things, disinterested with them. Some treat God as if he were a genie to grant wishes. Jesus shows that God is none of that. The word to this rich young ruler is, go and sell, come and follow. Go was the preliminary appetizer. Come and follow was the main course. The, the go sell varies from person to person, but the come follow is the same for all of us. For the rich young ruler, his wealth and possessions were a stumbling block. And Jesus pointed it out. He invited him to remove them so he could fully follow Jesus. You may have wealth and possessions and they may be a stumbling block for you. You may have wealth and possessions and they may not be a stumbling block for you. I know many people who have various forms of wealth and possessions and instead of being possessed by them, they steward them and leverage them for the spread of God's kingdom, as Jesus instructed here and elsewhere. The lesson here is not that you can't be rich and follow Jesus. The lesson is whatever's in the way of you fully following Jesus, in order to follow, you must first sell it. 
It's easy for me to read this story and judge the rich young ruler for missing out on all that Jesus and his kingdom offer. But if I'm honest, sometimes I'm in the same boat. I can come to Jesus. I can call him good teacher. I can kneel before him. I can ask him a question. I can say that I'm loving my neighbor. But occasionally, as he always does, Jesus points out my lack. Occasionally, something creeps in and hinders me from seeking first the kingdom of God. And the invitation is to notice it, confess it, go and sell it, put it on clearance if you have to, get rid of it, surrender it, and then come to Jesus, be in his presence, follow him, learn from him, be healed by him. As I worked through this message, Jesus showed me what that is for me. It isn't immoral or an addiction, but he showed me in a fresh way uh, the subtle ways I've been depending on the approval of people. I want people to like me. I want people to approve of me. And if I let people down or have conflict, it almost incapacitates me. It affects me significantly on a bodily level. It's not healthy. I noticed that this week. And it gets in the way of me following Jesus faithfully. It gets in the way of my healing. And so... I'm selling it. It's on clearance. I've, I've marked it down. It's 99% off. I'm done with it. All sales are fine if you buy it. I'm, I'm not taking returns. I'm done with it. I'm thankful that Jesus has shown me that. I want to offer that as just a very simple example that there might be things in your life that aren't egregiously sinful, but they still may be in the way of you seeking first the kingdom of God. I want to leave you with some questions. Um, what do you need to sell? I think probably all of us have things that we need to sell that are getting in the way of being a disciple of Jesus. What do you need to get rid of? Who or, or what is getting in the way of you being a full, faithful apprentice to Jesus? What do you need to let go of? Where is Jesus inviting you to take on the spiritual discipline of Conmarine? My hunch is, as I have shared these things, something may have popped up in your mind. If so, I encourage you to pay attention to it. And if nothing has yet, I invite you to pray as David prayed. Search my heart. <laughs> Reveal to me anything uh, that is grieving you. Let's pray. Father, we first say thank you for your um, ruthless love in pursuit of us and that that love also doesn't manipulate us or control or coerce us in, in how we understand that word. So we thank you that that's the type of God you are, that you are a God of love. And we come to you with all of the hurts and the hangups and all of the stumbling blocks and all of the distractions and all of the things and people who might get in the way of us truly serving you as Lord. I ask that in this moment and in the moments following, you would shine your light, that you would bring your spirit to convict, 
not to bring a guilt trip, but to convict of where we have sinned, where we have chosen things other than the kingdom of God, where we have placed our hope that isn't in you. Whether they are big or small, whether they are immoral or whether they're kind of neutral and even good, Lord, we invite you to come and shine your light. Lord, give us the courage to choose you. Give us the courage to sell whatever it is we need to sell, to mark down on clearance, just to get rid of the stuff, to, to con Marie the junk that is in our lives spiritually. Lord, we give it all to you. We invite you, great physician, to come and bring the deliverance and the freedom and the healing we desperately need in these days. So that you would be glorified. Not simply so we'd have a better life, but so that ultimately, God, you would get the glory and that the world would know just exactly the type of God you are. It's in your holy and precious name we pray.